this morning, uh, I've been in the habit of reading from the um, Proverbs, the wisdom of God, and this morning I'll be reading 10 Proverbs, actually, 10 Proverbs from Solomon. There's a whole set from um, chapter 10 to chapter 21 that are listed as the Proverbs of Solomon, and I'll read these. You may want to just listen, but they're all focused on planning. Then we'll read from the lips of Jesus, where he again talks about planning. And then finally, from the text that I'll be preaching from in, Pro- in James, as it speaks to us about planning. So hear the Word of God, beginning with Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Chapter 14, verse 22. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Chapter 15, verse 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Chapter 16, verse 1, to humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Chapter 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Chapter 16, verse 9, six verses later, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but it is the Lord that establishes their steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that finally prevails. Chapter 20, verse 18, plans are established by seeking advice. So, if you wage war, obtain guidance. Proverbs 21, 5, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Chapter 2130, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And from the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do with such a harvest? Why, I have no place to store so many crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him in that moment, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And from James, now listen. If he had been my coach, he'd say, listen up. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your word that across centuries through many pens, you have preserved it that we might open these texts, translate, hear, and obey. Speak to us of your great and transforming grace. Uh, guard us from my brokenness, that Jesus might be lifted up, and in the fullness of your grace, we might bear fruit for the world to see. These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. These texts all focus around a particular theme, planning. And so I want to dig into three things that we'll see here. First is that nobody likes an uncertain future. And yet, we have the opportunity to choose our future, at least how we'll go into it. And finally, the thing that changes how we approach the future, are we living by the what or by the whom? As many of you know, I lived uh, for 12 years in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And though there is Central Michigan University there, there were more farmers in our congregation than any other place I'd ever been. I was amazed as I got to know the farmers, how hard they worked, how many decisions they made day by day that really affected their future and economic decisions. I mean, they were really doing this. It was fascinating to me as a kid from the suburbs. Well, I'll never forget one of those days, a farmer friend said, you know, pastor, I can tell you how to make a small fortune farming. Wow. He said, yeah, it's no problem at all. Start with a large fortune and farm for about three years. You know, in that same community, there was a, a group of people who wanted to ensure their future in politics. And so they expected of their members to vote by absentee ballot. And the way they would do that was you'd apply for an absentee ballot, you'd sign it, and you'd give it to the representative where you lived. And they'd gather those, and then they'd meet. They'd open each one and mark the ballot, turn it in. And you see, power and securing the future needed a control. Nobody likes an uncertain future. It's what makes farming so hard. It's what makes us look to control even what we ought not. I'm concerned for the future of my children. So rather than being simply a helicopter parent, I become a snowplow parent at the risk of buying their way in to a school that they could not get into on their own. It's interesting here, friends, James uses a business illustration in our text. Now listen, all you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. See, it's pressing into the future. We'll carry on business and we'll make money. Sounds like a good, entrepreneurial, proactive business plan, doesn't it? We'll make plans, we'll gather the resources, we'll relocate, we'll provide a good or a service, and in exchange for that, we'll walk away with more money. Listen to what James says. He says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. 
That's true, isn't it? What will happen tomorrow? We will know by Tuesday, but we don't know now. What is your life, James says? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You are a mist. You see, we have this yearning to secure our future. We project into that future, try to provide a control and a hope and a preparation. And sometimes we do it out of a fear that if we don't control that future, we'll face tragedy, we'll press beyond our own resources, we'll see people we love hurt. James uses this business illustration to challenge us on this whole idea of planning and how it projects in the future. You see, the first problem about planning and securing a a future of our choice is that we are just a mist. We have no idea how long we will live. We have no idea how long our plans will stand. We are just, as the old songwriter said, passing through. Sometimes for longer, sometimes for shorter, sometimes for better, sometimes for harder. But we can't control the future. James makes that clear. We can't control the future. And so as a result, talking like we can control the future is just boasting and he minces no words. It's not like he says, oh, talking like we have the future under control is a bad thing to do. He calls it evil. Boasting about the future, speaking as if we can control what we can't, comes from a deeper problem. There is an evil there, and he goes on to say, it is sin. Instead, you ought to say, he says in verse 15, if it's the Lord's will, because you see, he controls the future. Isn't that what we read from Solomon's lips in Proverbs? Oh, there are plans that we make, but it's the Lord who establishes them. Instead, you ought to say it's the Lord's will. We will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You know what James is saying here? If anyone knows the good and doesn't do it, you know what the good is that we ought to know and do that he's speaking of right there? Now, hold on for a minute. I get it that we like to read that verse and lift it out and say, I know the good. I should help this person have a meal, so I'll help them have a meal. Ah, I've done good. That's not sin. Look at this passage, and the good that we ought to do but don't do that James is speaking to here is to recognize that all that we've been given is a gift, is to recognize that we do not control the future, but our God does, is to make clear that if it's the Lord's will, then those who know the good and don't do it, 
in James's setting here is about acknowledging that our productivity is God's gift. Well, pastor, you don't know how hard I worked. There's a fascinating movie clip that I almost thought about living. It's uh, James Stewart praying in the movie Shenandoah. Well, Lord, we give you thanks, even though I was the one who went out to the barn and milked the cows and planted the seed and gathered this Thanksgiving dinner. You see, we see all the things that we receive, and when we say, thank you, but I'm the one who worked, James is saying that to know the good, that all we've received is God's gift, and to not acknowledge it, and then to not do it like that, is to sin. Well, you know, I had a real work ethic. It, it was hard work. Right, where did you get your work ethic? I remember the insight in my own life when I realized that almost everything I was seeing of benefit in my life was given to me, and certainly I did something with it. But it came to me as a gift and even what I did with it was something of a gift. You've heard me say that one of the most important decisions I ever made in my life, it's a decision that separates me from the vast majority of people in this country. One of the important decisions that I made in my life was picking my parents. And you know how much I had to do with that. I was raised in a particular setting with particular opportunities. Did I make the best of it? To some extent, yeah. But even in those things, I received. And if it's the Lord's will, I'll work on this. If it's the Lord's will, I'll thrive. If it's the Lord's will. You see, there's a gratitude built into the gospel a humility that recognizes for all I do, I am first of all deeply loved. He writes, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or do that. So what is James's point in this passage? Is he simply hoping to change our speech that we start inserting this phrase, if it's the Lord's will and then everything's fine? Now, I want to tell you, that's not a bad thing, but it misses the mark. Here's why. All through the book of James, his point has been this, that the gospel will change the heart that produces the speech. The first part of this chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, why do you fight and quarrel? It's because desires battle within you. Until you deal with the desires battling in your heart, you won't have strong access to change the quarrels you find your life in. Chapter 1, verse 20 of James, he says, human anger, that's an interstate, does not produce the righteousness of God, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when our hearts are not transformed by the gospel of God's grace, those hearts will express themselves in the arrogance that says, we'll go and do this and reap this benefit. Our future is in our hands, not a gift from the living God. See, nobody likes an uncertain future. 
but all that the Bible has to say about planning is that planning is about how we order our efforts. It's not about determining our outcomes. In 1999, after praying and seeking God, I sensed a leading to move from Mount Pleasant to Asheville. Mary Lynn and I prayed about that. I had other key intercessors pray. We had a deep sense that God was calling us there. So we made plans. I ended one ministry. I secured things for the next ministry. We were able to move. We got our kids in school. We made all those plans to get there and to do that. And that was good. But a year after arriving, I was unemployed and crushed. I talked about some of that story last week. Had my plans gone wrong? In the moment, I thought they had. But I look back now and I see that those plans didn't go wrong. Jesus wanted to do something different in me than make it easy for me to pay my bills. He wanted to do something different in me than to see another church thrive. Those were all good things, paying bills, thriving churches. But God had a bigger project. It was to take a heart of stone and to break it up, to begin doing what only he could do. Planning is not about determining our outcomes. It's about how we order our efforts. Proverbs 16:9. in their hearts, humans plan their course. I plan to move from Mount Pleasant to Asheville, but the Lord establishes their steps, and my steps would walk through a season of unemployment. I simply share my life so you can see it in a life. I don't want to put yours on parade, but I, I ask you, begin to consider where have I lived life as if I controlled the future? Where have I made a plan and it seemed to go awry and I faced a challenge? Because you see, friends, we do have a relationship with the future. There are some things that matter. I call this point choosing our future. But maybe it's not so much about choosing the future we want. I wouldn't have cho chosen unemployment, believe me. We, maybe we don't choose our future, and that's because we cannot make it. But we can choose how we enter into our future. That may be the key thing. You see, there's a way of planning that seeks control. I'm going to plan so that this will happen and not that. There's a way to plan to try to control the future because deep in my heart, if I can get there and see it, I'm planning to control my future out of fear. I'm afraid that if I can't make the mortgage payment, my family will be on the street. So I'm planning and doing. I'm afraid that if I don't get into the right college and do the right thing, I won't have a job that gets me the life I want to have. You see, that's really a heart of fear. And when our hearts are touched by fear, it may well express itself in a planning that seeks to control. Here's a practical challenge with that. Why do you have life insurance? You see, it can be a good stewardly thing to make provision to cover the house note if I die for my wife. But if I think I am securing a future for her by buying 
life insurance. You can look at history. I'm fascinated by the German Weimar Republic. Or you could look at Venezuela right now where inflation is over a million percent a year. You want to know how much a $5 million life insurance plan is? And I didn't get her a $5 million life insurance plan. I didn't, I didn't want to incentivize my passing too much. But do you see, we can plan as stewardship, or we can plan from a heart of fear that wants to control. We can plan from a pride that searches for identity. I need to make a name for myself. I want people to know what a good person I am. Now, we rarely say that loud enough for people to hear. But have you ever not done something because you were wondering, what would people think? Ask yourself what kind of heart that comes from. There's a choosing to enter the future out of fear or out of pride. And I'll be honest and transparent. I'm not saying you're doing this. What I'm sharing with you is two motivations I've seen in my heart that might suggest to you what you may be struggling with. But I encourage you, spend some time in prayer and ask, what kind of heart leads to the plans that I make? Where is my planning coming from? Where is my planning so that I don't have to depend on God? We pray every day, give us this day our daily bread. But if we find a deal on pork chops at the Walmart, we're buying, just in case. Or, can we buy, make provision, and serve? Maybe the deal you got at the grocery store was so you could feed a hungry person because he'll provide your daily bread to them through you, through you and for you tomorrow. You see, there's a way to plan from trust, a way that says, the Lord has given me this opportunity, I'll take it. The Lord has given me this inclination this ability, I'll invest it. God has given me five minas. Do you know that parable of Jesus? By the grace of God, I'll look to double it. What investment counselor do you have who's doubling your money? Jesus said that's good. But it's not good to plan and to produce so that you can create your own security, your own identity, and put away the challenge of trusting in the living God. Imagine planning from trust so that you might be more generous. I'm able to produce more money. I'm happy with the way I'm living, so I'll give away the difference. In the United States, our general goal is to live on about 110% of what we produce. It's called credit, and it's why we end up on the hamster wheel. Imagine if God set you at a lifestyle and then blessed you with more so that you could invest the difference into the work of the kingdom. Imagine planning for trust so that you could be a part of God's great mission. I went to a great little college. About 90% of the folks who graduated with me and wanted to go to med school got into their first choice of med schools. Harvard, Johns Hopkins, 
Bowman Gray, they went where they wanted. Only two that I know of chose med school to get preparation to go work with the poor, either in missions or in rural, poverty-stricken neighborhoods in the United States. Dear friends and classmates, given tremendous opportunities, and they become serving themselves rather than joining God's mission. It would be years later after graduation that I realized that I chose seminary and did ministry, certainly to some extent out of obedience to God, but that I often pursued it with a fear of failure. I can't tell you how long I was minister, motivated in ministry to think, I've got to succeed in order to pr- prove myself right with God. I was looking to something other than the cross. I, I couldn't have articulated at that point. It took some navigating the pathways of my heart. See, I have nothing of judgment to say against my classmates because there I was, planning and living out of my own sense of fear or identity. Imagine if you could plan for the future in order to be obedient. You know, I'm already working on what I'll be doing each morning in 2020 in terms of Bible reading and, and prayer. It's not because I want to do that and check mark the list to get my benefits from God. It's because I know that whatever is happening on the fourth Wednesday of March, I will need the grace of God to live it graciously. So I'm making plans, whatever happens on that day, to preach the gospel to my own heart, to be renewed in God's love, to to struggle like Martin Luther did 20 years hence, to say, I'm not going to trust in self. I'm going to live by the grace of God. Friends, there are different ways to choose a future, and they're rooted in the way we live. Living by the water, by the whom, is how I see it in this text this morning. You know, there's a way to live by what? Pick a doctrine. Let's say the sovereignty of God. You can know about God the what of his sovereignty, and you've got the concept. The gospel is that, yes, but it's also more. It's about the who. Think of the Lord, who is the sovereign God. Not just a concept, but a relationship with a real person. And notice, I've mentioned here the the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the Old Testament way of presenting the name of God, the personal covenantal name of God. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, so that doesn't carry over. In the New Testament, the way you say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is to spell it J-E-S-U-S. I want to ask you, do you know about God or do you encounter God himself? Do you have ideas like sovereignty that are concepts in the bookshelf of your mind? Or have you met and spoken in the place of prayer, spoken with in his word, a person who is himself sovereign? Now, I want to tell you, I've gone to school and I advocate it. It's important what in the service of the who is helpful. If you know God, learning things about him can help you know him better. But when the what 
replaces the who, we're most to be pitied. See, as soon as real faith is just about the what, then all you have to do is adjust the what to make it easy, and there you go. But when vibrant faith is about an encounter with a living God who's made himself known, who's entered into history, who makes promises, who walks with us, who will hear us sing, I need thee every hour, and say, I will be with you. That God. I'm fascinated by this particular text at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy. He says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know whom. Did Paul have concepts about God? Absolutely. He was grounded in the Word. You see the emerging doctrine of the Trinity in his writings. It's powerful. He knew the what, when, how, and why. But life flowed for him out of the who, the risen Christ whom he'd met. How about you? How about me? As I look to my future, do I know who holds it, or am I trying to figure out what to do in order to control it? Lately, Mary Lynn has been watching uh, Call the Midwife. Fascinating little series. It's a little much for me, all these women having babies. Um, So I'll pass through from time to time and watch it. And it's been interesting to see. It starts in the 40s in Great Britain after the war. And you see that their nation has been dragged through the war. It's hard. Things are tight. They're broken. The clothes are shabby. But life picks up. And as I catch a two-minute blip here and a two-minute blip there, you can begin to see Britain more positive, back on their feet. The economy's picking up. The clothes are looking better. And finally, she was watching an episode. We were talking about it yesterday. It was 1961. And I'm going, oh, it's about to get so good in Great Britain because next year Ringo joins the Beatles and they take off. They don't know that in the series. It's 1961. And in this episode, a a young mother's having a hard time with um, morning sickness. Some of you women know that better than I ever would. It's hard. But the nation is doing well. There's medical care. The doctor's able to give her a medication. It's wonderful. She wants to share it with her friends. It's great. She has a marvelous pregnancy. And at the birth, she sees the impact of the medication, thalidomide. Now, some of you are old enough to know that season when good people and good doctors and good researchers doing the best they could stumbled into something that brought heartache, the thalidomide babies. In those moments, it's hard to understand God's sovereignty. In those moments... God doesn't offer a doctrine. He offers himself. Not the what of God, but the who, who'll walk with us. 
I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We don't entrust our lives, our loved ones, our world to the what I understand. We entrust them to the who, who showed himself at the cross, who would take our worst and give his best, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, God calls us to plan, but he calls us to plan in light of his good work. Will we plan and receive his goodness, even when it's not what we've asked for? Could it be that he's working mysteriously, unbelievably, through circumstances that will press us beyond our own abilities and understanding, but into his arms? It's one thing to know what about God. It's another thing to know who God is and who he has shown himself to be in the history of humanity at the cross. Let's pray. Father, you've loved us deeply, and I pray this day that we might live in a marvelous sense of your grace, for you have met us while we were not looking. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do what I cannot, that you would speak words of love and adoption to every person who hears this, that they might see at the cross not just a historical event, but that they would see at the cross a God who would lay aside his glory and take upon himself our brokenness, that he might offer to us what we could never produce or earn ourselves. Father, we thank you that you hold the future, and because you are good, even when we stumble into a future that is impossible to understand, that we couldn't like, even in that future, we trust that you will work for our benefit and for your glory that your gospel may be known. We thank you for your marvelous love, O Lord our God. Again, in just this still and calm moment, I pray you'd speak adoption, encouragement to your people, that we could look into a future with trust in a living God. For we make our prayer in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen.